I, I went for something new. I was Exciting. confused for a second. That's why I was late to jump I liked in. It. I, I was liked like, it. this is new. I was going to change it up a little bit. <laughs> All right. We're doing it again. Going to chapter 10. Chapter Before we go to chapter 10, uh, uh, only only little bit of housekeeping that I want to do at the beginning of this episode. No corrections yet because uh, the, the last episode yeah. has not uh, happened because we just talked about it. And if you have corrections, get out of my pod cave. You don't belong in here. This isn't yours. This is mine. Um... <laughs> That's not true. The podcast is for everyone. If anyone needs, a, if anyone, if anyone in rural Missouri needs a podcasting uh, uh, home, you are more than welcome in the podcast at any time. Solidarity. Let's go, boys. Yes. Yes. Um, Although there's not much room to sit. There's. So you... I mean, I'm not going to say there's multiple of us. Okay. If you want to have a round table, this isn't the place to do it. But if you got a podcast, yeah, you want to do, you'd have to like want to sit on someone's lap. Yeah. Some uh, you know, I'm just saying, you can you can have a you can have a group. You can have a party. We can we can. I could dress up like Santa Claus and it'd be less awkward. I'm just. Uh, yeah, that would be definitely less awkward, David. You're right. Less <laughs> is the less is the phrase. I wanted to use there less. Um, we've obviously shouted out uh, uh, Rain a number of times, and on the I think the last shout out uh, she got was uh, episode six seven. Um, and at the time, we were un, uh, 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 hesitant as to whether or not she wanted her Twitter profile back out there. But we have full permission to uh, to blast that one to the stars. So, at Stormy1917, uh, go follow that. For, again, as I have stated before, good, wholesome content. It's stuff you would share with your family. It's delightful. Um, it's not It's not 100% accurate, but she's a delightful follow, and she is a good comrade, and she deserves every bit of the following back that she needs. So everyone go follow follow at Stormy1917, Rainstorm on Twitter. Hi, Rain. This is your obligatory shout-out. Yeah. Um, also, like to say, uh, we're, we're going to be a little belated on this, but since we are uh, recording it now, and it just happened, and it wasn't just any... Um, Pride, it was the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. Um, I would, uh, I would like to say shout out to the, uh, memory of, uh, Marsha P. Johnson and, uh, those at the Stonewall Inn. Uh, don't let the current, uh, cop-loving corporate affair that it is bring you down on the history. Yeah. Uh, the history is very much revolutionary. Um, you know, gay marriage is... Not legal in this country because the Supreme Court went, yes, it's illegal in this country because some black trans women chucked bricks at cops. Yep. And a lot of work from a lot of people over time made sure that didn't go to waste. Um, you know, from Harvey Milk on down. Yeah. Um, it's it's a – and it's, it's upsetting and I, I – Oh, yeah. I, the, easily the most upsetting story, I think, was at Stonewall Inn. There was a black trans woman who, to this point, I think wants to remain anonymous. I think so, yeah. Um, that had gotten up to make a speech uh, and name black trans woman that had died and do it as a memory of Marsha P. Johnson during a drag show. And they were a little upset that she was being a party pooper instead of caring about why everyone was there. And uh, so that was pretty, pretty sad to hear. Yeah, um, it was. Uh, it, but and more importantly, it's. I, and again, you always try and. You want again. I think everyone, if you live in the Midwest in any, you know, capacity, you're used to the fun. Uh, uh, everyone, everyone shits on the Midwest, and we're the, the the backwater of history, and we we don't deserve to be yeah. here, and yada yada. Flyover state's fun, um, but we had a shot in St. Louis to actually do a damn thing. Because we banned cops from marching in pride. Mm-hmm. And we came out and said we weren't going to do it. We weren't going to allow cops to march. Um, and that, to my knowledge, would have made us the first major pride. New York, has, New York has floated it. San- Cal- California has floated it. 
Um, but we actually did it. We said no cops will march in pride this year. We're doing it. 50th anniversary of Stonewall. It made perfect sense. It was one of the few times I was going to be able to go like, fuck, yeah, let's show that we're not the fucking backwater that everyone assumes we are. Let's show that we can fucking read, you know, read the room and know that this is the 50th anniversary of Stonewall and we have the uh, Metro Umbrella group leading as the Grand Marshal. So let's maybe not bring cops in when the, the trans community is leading this march. Uh, and then, like the spineless fucking opportunists they are, they backed out of that about three weeks before Pride and cops marched fully. So I got, I, fuck, I'm just yeah. so mad. It was yeah. so we we had so close to being a, a moment of actually being able to be proud for a second, and and it still would have been a goddamn rainbow capitalism shit show because that's what it's just turned into. But at the very least, we could have made a statement that we gave a shit, and we caved to fun thin blue line angry people yelling on Twitter. Yeah. So, um. So just. That's all very depressing, but just don't don't let that water down. Um, what an important cause LGBT rights and, and liberation has been for a great number of people in this country. How well uh, those people have been fighting for the liberation and how well they continue to fight. And still is, because that's the other thing I cut getting bantered around. I think there was a, I believe there was a, a and I, I won't be able to cite it quickly enough, so it won't become the New York Times opinion piece of the week, but uh, there was, if I remember correctly, a New York Times opinion piece saying something to the effect of, uh, uh, how how should the, how should the uh, LGBT community move forward now that they've achieved all that they want? Now oh that they have God. equality, now that things are great, how, how do they stop using this as their... They have everything. They're fine now. Sure, so how yeah. do we move on into into maintenance time for... for everything it? they could have possibly wanted. It's the most... It's yeah. just so bad. The, the, that, yes. Is gay marriage legal in this country? Sure, fine. The, 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 there is a constant everyday struggle, and especially for our uh, trans community, there is constant struggle for just basic civil rights yeah. um, that goes on, and, and we're, we're not... We're not getting any closer to that by allowing cops march in pride, and we're not getting any closer to that by letting corporations fucking put a rainbow in their f- flag and say that they're, you know, Raytheon is supports equality. Yes, um, but that said, most importantly, on, on the positive side and, and taking out of that, um, solidarity to and a shout out to um, not only the memory of uh, Marsha P. Johnson and the, yep. the Stonewall uh, uprising uh, revolutionaries there, but... Everyone that has continued to fight to this day, everyone that brought it so close to being a no-cop pride in St. Louis, uh, everyone that's involved in other marches, such as uh, Dyke March, I believe is what it's called, in uh, Chicago, uh, is a very revolutionary one. And everyone who still does work, the black trans woman who got on stage in Stonewall Inn in the middle of a drag show and uh, got everybody's heads in the right space, um, you know, everybody ongoing who uh, honors the memory um, of those uh, revolutionaries at Stonewall and continues to fight for the rights of LGBT people. This coming from two cishet white boys in a closet. Yep. Solidarity, guys. Yeah. We're here. Yeah. 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 No, we, we, we acknowledge we're limited. Chapter 10, and again, if there's one thing you got to appreciate from, from Vladimir Lenin, it's that the man knew how to edit and the man understood the <laughs> fact that, God damn it, I'm going to end my book in 10 chapters. It's a nice round He's- number. And it's appreciated. Thank you, Lennon. We shout outs to you. He's um, so goddamn good at editing. And while, just all the things. While He's there's while the things. there's so many good works that, of Lennon's that I would call essential from what is to be done um, to this, uh, I I would argue if he had a masterpiece, it was of course State and Revolution. Maybe partly because the the real world things and the real masterpiece of yeah. revolution that was happening. Yeah. Uh, but if he had an editing masterpiece. It might be this book. It, it very well could be. He did include a lot of charts and graphs, though. Yeah. 
Yeah. He had a lot of charts and graphs. Let's, yeah. not, let's not gloss over them. They were there. <laughs> the place of imperialism in history. And this chapter is, is great because this is really kind of, uh, it's the, he does a very good conclusion. The, the, yeah. As you learned in, in middle school, when you, you, know, you have your introduction, you have your three paragraphs in the middle, and then you get a conclusion where you wrap it all up. Lennon's going to do a great wrap it all up right here. He had so, a long three paragraphs. In the a very long three, yeah, it was a, it was a <laughs> thick three paragraphs, but we got there. <laughs> We have seen that the economic quintessence of, fuck that nonsense, of imperialism <laughs> is cap- monopoly capitalism. This very fact determines its place in history for monopoly that grew up on the basis of free competition and out of free competition is the transition from capitalism from the capitalist system to a higher social economic order. We must take a special note of the four principal forms of monopoly or the four principal manifestations of monopoly capitalism, which were characteristic of the period under review. And again, these still are, we are still in this period as, mm-hmm. as far as it is concerned. It, it, if you define capitalism's you know, advance, we have not broken from this period yet. It's gotten a little more refined, but these should all still ring very true. What? Monopoly arose out of the concentration of production at a very advanced stage of development. This refers to the monopolist capitalist combines, cartels, syndicates, and trusts. Back to the steel, back to everything coming together. Mm -hmm. These are the early chapters of, hey, everything came together and then shit got bad. We have seen the important role these play in modern economic life. At the beginning of the 20th century, monopolies acquired complete supremacy in the advanced countries. And although the first steps towards the formation of the combines were first taken by countries enjoying the protection of high tariffs, Germany and America, England, with her system of free trade, was not far behind in revealing the same phenomenon, namely the birth of monopoly out of the concentration of production, which is an inevitable thing that will always come because Mm -hmm. freaking read capital. Or if you don't want to read capital, go listen to us read capital to you. Uh, It's uh, it's the first (laughs) thing. We kind of did it, yeah. We did the whole thing for you. Two. Monopolies have accelerated the capture of the most important sources of raw material, especially for the coal and iron industry, which is the most basic and most highly trustified industry in capitalist society. That part obviously ages differently. Uh, They constantly change what the most important raw materials are. Um, Right now, I think there's no debate that the most important raw material is oil, uh, followed very closely by the raw materials needed for computers and consumer technology, the silica, Mm -hmm. the cobalt, all of those fun nickel all of those. Uh, but again, cadmium plays. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, players change games still the same. Uh, the monopoly of the most important sources of raw materials has enormously increased the power of big capital and has sharpened the antagonism between trustified and non-trustified industries. Again, the big ones get together. They blow everybody else out. It's the Walmart. Uh, if Lenin was alive for Walmart, he would have just called this the Walmartification of the economy. Mm-hmm. Monopoly has sprung from the banks. The banks have developed from modest intermediary enterprises into the monopolists of finance capital. Again, remember back to when we started talking about what banks originally were there to do, and it was to simply be the facilitator of transactions, to, to I want to move money from A to B. Hey, I need a place to do that. Hi, I'm a bank. I do that. Uh, they changed at some point. We pointed it out a couple chapters ago. Mm-hmm. Some three or five of the biggest banks in each of the foremost capitalist countries have achieved the personal union of industrial and bank capital and have concentrated in their hands the power to dispose of thousands upon thousands of millions which from the greater part of the capital which form the greater part of the capital and revenue of entire countries 
a financial oligarchy which throws a close net of relations of dependence over all the economic and political institutions of contemporary bourgeois society without exception. Such is the most striking manifestation of this monopoly. Again, this is back to the too big to fail. When you're talking about thousand, you know, a couple banks have all the capital of an entire country. Well, if a bank, you know, if three banks have the entire capital of your country for the most part, or or functionally that, can one of them collapse? Can one of them fail? Can one of them be subject to the fun rules that you know capitalism is supposed to impose on itself? No. no, no, you'd be out of way too much capital in your you, country. You, you would, you would there's, lose. There's too tightly wound of a And we have absolutely seen. I mean, again, we have real. World, I mean, again, yeah, they Lenin didn't, it too big to fail. Lenin didn't have an example of this at the time when it happened. We do. We saw exactly what happens when one of those institutions is threatened, and it's that all of capitalists circle their wagons around them, scoop them back up, and make sure that they stay afloat at the expense of the people. At the expense of we mm-hmm. bail them out, um, and and we are responsible for keeping them afloat regardless of their poor practices. Just period. Mm-hmm. Monopoly has grown out of colonial policy. To the numerous old motives of colonial policy, finance capital has added the struggle for the sources of raw materials. For the export of capital for spheres of influence, i.e. spheres of good business, concessions, monopolist profits, and so on. In fine for economic territory in general. When the, col- when the colonies of the European powers in Africa comprised only one-tenth of that territory, as was the case in 1876, colonial policy was able to develop by methods other than those of monopoly, by the free grabbing of territory, so to speak. That was the, the fun, I plant a flag here. This is yeah. my place now. I don't have to fight a war. It's mine. Meh. Flag, see? <laughs> but when nine-tenths of Africa has been seized, which was the approximation by 1900, when the whole world had been shared out, there was inevitably ushered in a period of colonial monopoly and consequently a period of intense struggle for the partition and repartition of the world. And and that's the phase that we're still in. Yeah. And and I want to be clear too, let's let's tie three and four together with the, a couple of examples uh, just to really underscore this. Uh, the first one, we've talked about this particular example a lot in this book, but we didn't talk about this time period of it because this book was written right before World War One. But we talked plenty about Deutsche Bank. Oh, don't we, though? Yes, we've talked plenty about Deutsche Bank. And uh, Deutsche Bank was from Germany. And Really? People kind was of, it? Yeah. You don't say. People kind of remember there was this period in Germany that was not so hot. We're going to talk about Nazi Germany. Oh, we're, Nazi, oh, Nazi good, Germany. good. Yeah. The Nazis, and they had, uh, and they had these concentration camps. Did they? Yes, and Deutsch, I'm familiar with those. Deutsche Bank was invested in the concentration camps. Were they now? So they would make a bunch of money uh-huh. off of uh, you know Jews, disabled people, Romani people, communists, everybody getting thrown in these concentration camps. And when they were thrown in they would have their possessions and funds taken away. Yes. By Deutsche Bank. Mm-hmm. So Deutsche Bank would make money off you, you just the concentration camps in general, essentially farming human... Capital. Whatever, yeah, capital. You turn humans into capital. You turn humans into capital. Um, you know, whether that's overworking them to death or gassing them to death or whatever, you know, you turn them into capital. And on their way in, everything that they possessed, Deutsche Bank just gets a pocket. Mm-hmm. 
So oh yeah, um, because the Nazi again the Nazis were socialists, so obviously they were they were for right. they were for state owned, and then the the state bank was was Deutsche Bank. Mm-hmm. The sarcasm isn't coming through as clearly as it should, um, but no, it's again they they. One yes, I, Nazis loved monopolies. I mean, there there was right wing as a guy loved monopolies. Uh, and then the other current example, and um, obviously there'll be a lot more details of this to emerge as time goes on because it's very hard to research as pervasive as things are. But the the primary owners of of the concentration camps that Trump uses now, mm. um, including the ones that are being made out of former Japanese internment camps, and and the ones that have you know been run by every independent for-profit prison company in the world. The primary profiteers of that are GEO. Yep. And GEO, like a great many other companies, is primarily invested in by the Vanguard Group. And the Vanguard Group is the largest mutual fund group in the United States. Yes. If you're any, if you've, if you've looked at your 401k at any time in the last 10 years, the word Vanguard shows up a lot. A lot. A lot, uh, which really means that they're a giant stock slush for everybody that's rich. All of the banks, uh, Alphabet Inc., uh, Amazon, all of that. Yeah. So it's just a giant conglomerate of bank and corporate wealth. Yep. Um, and so, I mean, you're just seeing it be repeated and over the, and over. And you saw, but you, and, and to tie this back again, you see where the awareness of this kind of stuff is is important because uh, again I, I, we talk about harm reduction and it's it's not the end goal and it's obviously not the thing you should be satisfied with and I, I, I'm confident that the people organizing around these kind of things are not just in it for the if you know for you know pyrrhic victories and stuff like that but yeah. you saw uh, someone and I, I, I will I was trying to find him on Twitter as we were talking but I, I will do my best to find him again um, was doing a, a, a really good job of, of using publicly accessible documents to essentially call out every single company mm. that was in some capacity, way, shape, or form funding these. You saw this, uh, the most public one right now was the obviously the Wayfair walkout. When Wayfair employees realized that they're, they, they were providing beds to concentration camps, their employees yeah. said, fuck you, and walked off. And, and I don't know if we've got to a resolution of that yet. I think that's still... As we're recording this, no, in- but there's been right wing pundits who have been said that these are the real monsters that they're taking away the beds from the people. Yeah, no, 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 and obviously we, shit. and that's so obvious to see through. But it's but it's a good example of again workers, the 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 workers realizing that they have some power there and realizing that they have a voice. Yeah, trying to say no, this is not how we want. This is not what we want. This is not how we're going to do things. Mm-hmm. And, and um, it's real solidarity. It's not like you know we're just going on strike to raise wages. It's we're no. walking out. Because you're fucking those people up, and we care about them. And that's the, it, it goes back to something like BDS. Targeted action is important. You can't just have vi- you can't just have non-targeted screaming into the void. You have to you have to find a tangible thing you can do, target it, and work as hard as you can towards correcting that. Now, again, mm-hmm. the problem with that becomes you have to stay focused because what will happen is capitalism will concede to you little things that look like victories and then keep on going as it were. Again, mm-hmm. don't act like this concentration camps and all of this kind of stuff was not going on under Obama, that we didn't have this deportation and we didn't have this this complete, you know, crimes at the border under under our fun liberal god that we now, all wish mo- we could have most back. Most of the pictures, photos out there that are being used against Trump, and Trump is absolutely ramping oh, it up. Oh, he's ramping it up, but he's doing it to extreme degrees. But most of the photos out there of it 
are stuff from, you know, I mean, you see, like, the buses with the car seats. Yeah. You see the uh, cages of children with the, the tinfoil blankets. And these photos are from when Obama was president. Yeah. This is this is always happening. And so, again, the biggest thing is, is that they will try and give you they, they will recognize that it's bad business and they mm-hmm. will they will try and pivot and they will try and go. Now, now, some of them you can pressure to hopefully stay out of thing. You, you know, you can put pressure on things that you have control over. Yeah. Um, and those lists, again, just putting these people on blast and showing what it was. You can you can see tangible gains from that. So in, in response yeah. to all of that. Um, uh, I know recently, uh, I think U.S. Bank was the one major bank that got I called. I thought Bank of America. It might have been. US got bank called. Well, so U.S. Bank was the only one listed that was financing. Gotcha. That was directly financing it. Um, the board, they, they were basically providing the material loans and stuff like that for it. Gotcha. Other companies were providing stuff. It was, it was Bank of America that said they will no longer finance it, which implies they were. Mm. And doesn't clarify if they're going to stop investing in companies that do other stuff. And so it, and so that was that was where I was kind of going with it. It's, it's interesting because, again, you see companies that have to eventually make make a call on that and make mm-hmm. a pivot. And, and so, again, that this doesn't make any of it any better. But again, you, there that was this is where as we're recording this, it was after that announcement. Um, I think it was either Wall Street Journal, or New York Times. I don't remember where I read it. Um, but Bank of America's thing was they came out and said we are not financing, we were not financing private prisons or, or private uh, uh, the 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 border patrol stuff. Yeah, but we did have relationships with the private detention industry in general. And as a result of this is getting too public and too not good, we are severing all ties with any of those going forward until there is legislation in place that says, gives us some direction that we can do it with. Mm -hmm. They did the same thing post uh, Parkland. They were very, they were one of the ones that came out and said, uh, we're just going to sever all ties with, uh, with, you know, manufacturers that make AR-15s and shit like that. But again, that only happens if you, Focus on it and you put pressure on them. Mm-hmm. Because if this shit was happening under Obama or anyone else, this would have got brushed under the table and they could have kept investing in these things without the public scrutiny. So it is so fucking important that, and, and I say this kind of as a, as a hopeful future lesson to anyone listening to this in the future, I don't give a shit who wins in 2020. Just this stuff is going to keep happening. Mm-hmm. And I've I've had arguments with people before that are like, well, you know, as soon as Trump's out of office, we're all going to kind of go back to sleep. And this this left movement that's been rising up is going to kind of get pacified and go back into the hiding and they're not going to be as important anymore. And I, I know for myself personally, that's not going to be the case. I don't give a shit who gets elected in 2020. We're still going to need to push that person to do, you know, to get closer to what we need and get us closer to whatever ever the revolution looks like. But if your friend wins the 2020 election, do not for a second stop looking at all of this stuff. Do not mm-hmm. for a second stop thinking about, I wonder if they're doing the, the concentration camp thing. I wonder if they stopped that. Because, I, I again, remember, 2008 swept in on the grand promise of we're closing Guantanamo on day one. And the it's last time I checked, Guantanamo Bay is still an open and functioning U.S. detention facility. Mm-hmm. Um, if you do not hold these people's feet to the fire, if you do it, not constantly... It also swept in and we're pulling out of Iraq and Afghanistan. The last time I checked, we're both places. And, and those have been expanded to nine countries with drone warfare. Exactly. 
there is always, you, you have a tendency to kind of want to get lulled to sleep. They're going to give you these little, again, fight to 15. Mm-hmm. They're going to give you that. And know it. They're, they're, they've conceded the point. They know every every major corporation with anything at stake has already planned into their to their budget. We know we're going to have to give up a fifteen dollar federal minimum wage. It's already there. It's already in the. It's already in their 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 budgets going forward. They're ready for that. It's not going to hurt them. It's not going to cost them anything. So don't take it as a victory because it's not. They're not taking it as a loss. They're not considering that a, a lost battle. They're considering that a tactical move. And that's going to keep happening with everything. So whatever whatever activism you do, keep the pressure on constantly mm-hmm. because there is we're not going to get to a point in the United States of America where we've reached a happy medium and if we do great we, we when we reach the when we reach equality and we've we've decolonized and we've we've got everyone out and, and we've given the reparations cool it won't be the United States of America anymore by the time. Exactly. Happens. But that's not happening anytime soon. It's certainly not going to happen because we kicked Donald Trump out of office and we beat him and we won with some fucking neoliberal shill that's going to take over his place. That's yeah. not the case. Yeah. Um, don't know how we got down that rabbit hole. I apologize. No, that's okay. But since we're on there, uh, apparently uh, the guy's name is not uh, Butt Geek or whatever. It's like... Butt Chug? Bo- it's, it's, it's like Booty Judge. Booty Chug? Booty Judge? It's like Boojeej or something. It's Bootylicious. And we're the gonna the call- end is definitely Jeej. It's it's so it's it's Emmanuel Marcone, but from Indiana. Let's just call him what he is. It's fucking it. Oh, why is he? He's not a person. He's not. He's he's he is he's a focus grouped man. That is a gentle. I am not. And you can't disprove me. There's no. I don't care what science you bring to me. You can bring me his birth certificate. You can bring me pictures of him being born. I don't care. That man was grown in a lab vial by focus groups to fucking cater to neoliberal desires. That's all he is. He is the focus grouped human being of 2020. Of what's the most optimal blend of things we can. Okay. He's a non aggressive white male, but he's also gay. Um, and And he's a troop. And he's a troop. Don't forget he's a troop. Um, and he didn't carry an AR-15 in, in Afghanistan for this. Um, and, and he's going to continue everything that we want, Man. but he's going to make everyone feel like they shouldn't be able to question him because he, he's gay. So he's, he's not someone that you look at and, and go, man, he's going to save the world. He's certainly not someone you look at his <laughs> politics and think, man, save the he's going to do he couldn't, shit. He couldn't save, he couldn't save he, them being the mayor of his town in Indiana. Yeah, he can't even save the police brutality in that town. He can't, fuck, yeah. are you kidding me? No. But that said, he is a man you can look at and go, that man can pardon a turkey. That man, that man can stand up there and pardon a turkey with his his partner right next to him, and and make and he'll bring two male turkeys up and say we're pardoning both of them so that they can live happy, happy, inclusive turkey lives. And by the way, I didn't mean to mention it, but I have drone strike eighteen uh, countries in the last ten minutes. But you don't mind that because look at me, my name is Bootylicious. <laughs> God damn it, he has no chance. But it's still just come on. Also, did you did you did you notice? Have you seen that Kamala Harris rose to third overall because she she was slightly mean to Joe Biden and everyone's just yas queening her? Don't get me wrong, I'm good with being mean to Joe Biden. Oh, punching Joe Biden in the dick is praxis, and I, is, you can't tell me differently. Is anybody who who saw that like let that rise happen familiar with one minute of her entire career? Exactly. Yes, you can say she said she she is again she's doing the Barack the fun Barack Obama thing. You can say stuff. 
but you know you have a record, right? And, like, that's a thing. That's a tangible thing yeah. you did that I can look at. And it's fun that they – I want – I want – and this is this is my new thing. I'm going to, with all the, the massive money that we make off our podcasting empire here in the closet, <laughs> um, which, which uh, for the record, I noticed that we had a tip jar – on uh, on our podcast, so you were able to donate, and there were some people that did. I I I, I, I cannot understand why you would. I appreciate it. Uh, that's been turned off. Please God, go donate your money to causes. Use it to do activism. Do not give it to us. We do not need it. That is not what we're here for, dear Christ. Um, but but once you know we make that chopo money, um, I want to start a a, a a TV station that its only job is to essentially overlay during these debates and just real time, as soon as they say something like that, flash up her record on that particular subject where she was obviously not that. Because obviously no one on the fucking stage is willing to do it, nor are the moderators willing to no. call her on her bullshit. So somebody needs to, damn it. And that's my new project. Welcome to my TED Talk. The extent... To which monopolist capital has intensified all the contradictions of capitalism is generally known. It is sufficient to mention the high cost of living and the power of the trust. Man, that aged well. Thank you. Thank you, <laughs> Lennon. That, that scaled. This intensification of contradictions can, constitutes the most powerful driving force of the transitional period of history, which began at the time of the definite victory of world finance capital. Monopolies, oligarchy, the striving for domination instead of striving for liberty, the exploitation of an increasing number of small or weak nations by an extremely small group of the richest or most powerful nations, all these have given birth to the, those distinctive features of imperialism which compel us to define it as a parasitic or decaying capitalism. More and more, there emerges, as one of the tendencies of imperialism, the creation of the bond-holding or rentier state, the usurer state, in which the bourgeoisie live on the proceeds of capital exports and buy quote-unquote clipping coupons. Did, did, Lenin, did Lenin predict extreme couponing? Is that no, what this is? Did Lenin, did Lenin foresee extreme couponing? All right. In spite of Nathan's sarcasm, that's stock exchange. Stop. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't, 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 don't uh, let his sarcasm get to you. So, guys, next time you see someone that works on the stock exchange, you just look at them and say you're an extreme couponer. That's right. And you you throw 18 <laughs> gallons. till you drop. You, sh you throw 18 packs of Charmin at them and say, ha! This is, is that, what you do. Was that the name of the old game show shop till you drop? Or what was it? Uh, Supermarket. Supermarket something. Sweep. Oh, that's no, that's the was. jam, baby. That was, that was, you knew we hit peak capitalism in the late 90s because. Well, there was a game show for going shopping. Oh, my God. No, but not even that. If you were, if you remember, if you were a, a child of the 90s, hi, welcome. I'm, I'm trying to dig up that sweet BuzzFeed uh, uh, SEO right now. Um, you remember Nickelodeon and you remember yeah. that there was ever there was a contest of I don't remember how you won it or even how you did anything with it, but the winner of that contest, the whole goal was that you were basically put into a Toys R Us and you were told to shove as much <gasps> shit into a cart as humanly possible this. under a basically you were told you have carte blanche to go put as much stuff in a cart as you can in this amount of time. And if you paid the most, you won. No, no, no. That was a whole other game. That was Supermarket Sweep. That okay. was the whole premise of that game. This was just a contest where you picked one Charlie Bucket out of the crowd and gave him his golden ticket and said, Go, boy! Go put all the Nerf guns into your cart, and this will make life better. All, your whole dream is just to walk into the Toys R Us and put as much shit in that cart while the weird giraffe follows you around and claps for you. Yay, consumer! <laughs> Yay! It was the fucking most terrifying shit. And in and, and, and post-2008 world where we're like, that, like looking back on that, it's like 
Yeah, yeah, Toys R Us should have got Bane Capital. Yeah, no, they absolutely deserved that. That damn, that damn, that damn giraffe deserved everything he got, you <laughs> fucking fascist. God damn it. <sighs> Rapid growth, extreme couponing. It would be a mistake to believe that this tendency to decay precludes the possibility of the rapid growth of capitalism. It does not. In the epoch of imperialism, certain branches of industry, certain strata of the bourgeoisie, and certain countries betray, to a greater or less degree, one or other of these tendencies. On the whole, capitalism is growing far more rapidly than before. But it is not only that this growth is becoming more and more uneven, <laughs> this unevenness manifests itself also in particular in the decay of the countries which are richest in capital. Again, the closer you get to pure capitalism the more extreme you pull the taffy. Mm -hmm. You have super uber wealth and opulence at one end. You have misery, degradation, and no money at the other end. Mm -hmm. But ah, there's a, there's a third part of that, misery, degradation, and something else. I'll have to go listen to David Harvey again. In regard to the rapidity of Germany's economic development, Racer, the author of the book on the great German banks, states... The progress of the preceding period, 1848 to 1870, which had not been exactly slow. No, things happened in Europe. There then. were things happening. 1848, minor, go back. We had a whole episode on it. Yeah. There was a, it was a year, guys. They 1870, had a, Paris Commune. That they had a normal one. German involved. They had a normal one. Yeah. Uh, stood in the same ratio to the rapidity with which the whole of Germany's national economy and with it German banking progressed during this period. 1870 to 1905. As the mail coach of the Holy Roman Empire of the German nation stood to the speed of the present-day automobile, which in whizzing past, it must be said, often endangers not only innocent pedestrians in its path, oh no, Mr. Spectator, dive, dive, uh, but also the occupants of the car. Uh, you don't appreciate my Mr. Spectator reference right there? You're not, you're not enjoying it, Mr. Pedestrian? I was I was focusing so much about how uh, uh, how they were admitting that cars were dangerous back then. Oh, yeah. No, no. Yeah. And also that... They that, probably went 20 miles an hour. It's 1905. We had Le Mans. We were doing shit. Um, I don't know. I don't know cars. What am I talking about? In its turn... This finance capital, which has grown so rapidly, is not unwilling, precisely because it has grown so quickly, to pass on to a more tranquil possession of colonies, which have been, which have to be captured, and not only by peaceful methods from far richer nations. World War. In the United States, economic development in the last decades has been even more rapid than in Germany, and for this very reason. The parasitic character of modern American capitalism has stood out with particular prominence. Good huh, call, Lenin. That aged well, yeah. Good call, Lenin. On the other hand, a comparison of, say, the Republican American bourgeoisie with the monarchist Japanese or German bourgeoisie shows that the most pronounced political differences become insignificant during the imperialist period. Not because they are unimportant in general, but because throughout it is a case of a bourgeoisie with defiant traits of parasitism. Guys... This is a good example. The United States is a democracy. Hmm. Saudi Arabia is a monarchy. Mm -hmm. They have the exact same interests. Yeah. And they align very well. Perfect. It does not matter whether or not you're a... You, same uh, economic structure. Doesn't matter. Same economic structure. And that's the more important part. Because you can have differing... Uh, if there was a purely... Cuba is a purely democratic heaven. Cuba has democracy that we could only wish we had. And yet they're the devil. Because the underlying economic base is what's really at play here. 
Yeah. So you can have differing political ideologies as long as you both agree that capitalism is awesome and we should do that. Yeah. And as long as you contribute to U.S. control of hegemony of raw materials, well, which yeah. are two things that Cuba absolutely does not does do. Does not do at all. They, they dare to be... To, to have knocked the plantation owners out and mm-hmm. not plant sugar for the United States mm-hmm. and dare to be communist and dare to have longer life expectancies than us and dare to have more literacy than us and dare to develop uh, cures for stage four lung cancer, you know, on and on and on. How dare they? They're, they're the devil. That's, yep, basically. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yep. Also, to the one person who has listened to us while in Cuba... Thank you. Yeah, hi. Thank you. Hi. Thank you. Come. Can you educate us? Can you please like come that. on? Please come out. Like I, I know you only listened to one episode. I don't know which one it was, but please come. Please come hang out. I'm sorry. We love you. The receipt of high monopoly profits by the capitalists in one of the numerous branches of industry, in one of numerous countries, etc., makes it economically possible for them to corrupt individual sections of the working class, and sometimes a fairly considerable minority, and win to them to the side of capitalists of a given industry or nation against all others. Again, this is where you can weaponize the, the working class against one another. You can yeah. convince them that, that they're really on capitalism's side when capitalism would crush them in two seconds if they weren't used yeah, to it. Yeah, when the, the, the Soviets are going to ruin our American way and they're yelling that at the people in trailer parks and they're going, yeah, kill them communists. Yeah, yeah you know, I mean, that's it's, it's what he's talking about right Exactly, here. exactly. The intensification of antagonisms between imperialist nations for the partition of the world increases this striving. And so there is created that bond between imperialism and opportunism, which revealed itself first and most clearly in England, owing to the fact that certain features of imperialist development were observable there much sooner than in other countries. It's kind of why Carl picked it to write capital about. It's Mm -hmm. It's a good example. Some writers, El Martov, for example, try to evade the fact that there is a connection between imperialism and opportunism in the labor movement, which is a particularly striking at the present time by resorting to stereotype optimistic arguments, a la Kautsky and Heisman's, like the following. The cause of the opponents of capitalism would be hopeless if it were precisely progressive capitalism that led to the increase of opportunism, or if it were precisely the best paid workers who were inclined towards opportunism, etc., We must have no illusion regarding optimism of this kind. It is optimism in regard to opportunism. It is optimism which serves to conceal opportunism. As a matter of fact, the extraordinary rapidity and the particularly revolting character of the development of opportunism is by no means a guarantee that its victory will be durable. The rapid growth of a malignant abscess on a healthy body only causes it to burst quickly and thus to relieve the body of it. The most dangerous people of all in this respect are those who do not wish to understand that the fight against imperialism is a sham and humbug unless it is inseparably bound up with the fight against opportunism. Yeah, again, you cannot fight imperialism unless you're fighting the lies and the bullshit. Yes. Okay. You can't say... I don't want the U- I don't like imperialism. I don't want the U.S. invading Venezuela. Oh, by the way, Maduro's an evil dictator. Yeah. You know, you can't do that. You can't. You can't. No. From all that has been said in this book on the economic nature of imperialism, it follows that we must define it as capitalism in transition, or more precisely, as morbid capitalism. It is very instructive. And and to go back there, I think we've transliterated morbid capitalism today as capitalism in decay. I think that's the oh, yeah. better way to. Uh, I don't. I don't know if that's exactly what he would have been saying there, but we more when you hear the phrase "capitalism in decay," you know, fascism is capitalism. Yeah. That this is what he is describing: that the, the monopoly form imperialist capitalism is capitalism in decay. Yeah. 
It is very instructive in this respect to note that the bourgeois economists in describing modern capitalism frequently employ terms like interlocking, absence of isolation, etc., in accordance with their functions and course of development. Banks are not purely private enterprises. They are more and more outgrowing the sphere of purely private business regulations. Too big to fail. And this very researcher who uttered the words just quoted declares with all seriousness that the prophecy of the Marxists concerning socialization has not been realized. The Marxists were wrong. Capitalism won. (laughs) It's a global economy. We have to think about each other, you know. Oh, Oh, uh, speaking of, you know, and kind of going back a paragraph there, we were talking about uh, the you can't be an opportunist and and an anti-imperialist and it kind of maybe think of it just now with the the Marxist concerning socialization thing. My brain connects. Things yeah, too fast no, sometimes. no, no. Yep, yeah, you're on this train ride with us. Yeah, yeah. They, my brain connects things too fast, and all of a sudden, bam! There's ten connections, and so I went Soviet Union, DPRK, da da da. Anyway, there was news the other day that there was a poll taken. And a third of Americans were fine with nuking the DPRK. No, no idea what threat it posed. Nuking the DPRK even if it killed over a million people. And that's scary. That's horrible. And the outlets that were shocked and wanted to play this off as just some Republican ignorance and, and uh, were even admitting how horrible it was, places like Vox and Bloomberg and stuff, there was no, no uh, self-reflection at all. No. Complete cognitive Cognitive dissidence. You say the entire time these lives are people's lives are so horrible they aren't worth living. There's just this death, starving prison amassment, right? And this evil dictator is is just standing over it, and he's a liar and he's a threat to everyone. Why wouldn't you want them to nuke into nothing? You know, it's kind of when people acted shocked at uh, what was it Kevin Williamson said like the, the death penalty for for women who have abortions. It of course it's horrible. Yeah. But if you genuinely believe that, that abortions are murder and these are just a bunch of murder and usually the idea is that women can have multiple abortions, you know, these, these multiple time possible murderers out there just killing babies. Why is it a moral jump to, to, to you know, put them to the death penalty? But you're talking about a horrible genocide that's killing half the women in the country and a quarter of the country's population. Yeah. You know, and that should tell you not that that, okay, that's a jump too far, or, okay, it's any, anyone that's gross that thinks that, it should tell you the entire anti-abortion structure is is evil. And so when you see people coming out and a third of the United States are fine with nuking the DPRK and killing over a million people, of course you've trained them to beg for that genocide. Yep. What do you think was going to happen? And in, and in the same, you know, I, I probably in the same article that they used, they said, a third of Americans are okay nuking the hermit kingdom into non-existence. How yeah. dare we get to this? How could we be like everything? Right. You're probably, they probably had some disclaimer like like everyone had this disclaimer like you know oh oh well of course it's a horrible you know dictatorship and and but like something like that right the same, and then today of course because Trump is in cross the line and is in in the D, in the DPRK. They, these are the same people that are now hand wringing that. Oh my God, we're giving we're con- we're making concessions to this horrible dictatorship. Yeah. How dare? How could we possibly? But we shouldn't. But no, oh, bad, bad, bad right wingers for wanting to kill them. But well, there they're was, not real people. But you shouldn't want to kill them. I mean, I mean come it, on. Was it two weeks ago? The U.S. flew a drone. Now this is an unmanned death machine. All yeah. it can fly over you to do is bomb you. 
Bomb okay. you or spy on you. And there is nobody in it. So if you shoot it down, it kills nobody. And the U.S. flew one over Iran. Basically, that I mean, that's an, an extreme act of aggression. Yeah. And if you fire back, other than expensive money and and U.S. throwing a fit, from a human death perspective, there's no consequence. No consequence. Until the U.S. like reacts to it. There's no consequence. Why wouldn't you shoot down an unmanned death machine? Yeah. And so they shot it down. And it was Iran's aggressive. And when Trump, of all people, didn't was like uh, – Trump – trust me. Trump is putting sanctions on Iran. That is a, a act of war yeah. that kills people. Trump has been one of the leaders in talking about Iran and flipped the, the script even more to Iran than I think Hillary would have, as much as I think Hillary would be attacking Syria more and, and going after Russia more. Trump has been very, very heavily against Iran. And even he was like, yeah, I'm not going to start a war over that. That's stupid. <laughs> and And everybody lost their shit. He's letting Iran get away with, da, 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 you know, I mean, and it wasn't just like the Bill O'Reilly's of the world. It was the entire pundit class. Yeah. It, it, Max Boot was up in arms, guys. Right. He was up in arms. It's oh my God, it's so bad. What then does this interlocking express? It merely expresses the most striking feature of the process going on before our eyes. It shows that the observer counts the separate trees without seeing the wood. It slavishly copies the superficial, the fortuitous, the chaotic. It reveals the observer as one overwhelmed by the mass of raw material and utterly incapable of appreciating its meaning and importance. Ownership of shares and relations between owners of private property interlock in a haphazard way. But the underlying factor of this interlocking, its very base, is the changing social relations of production. When a big enterprise assumes gigantic proportions, too big to fail proportions, one could say, <laughs> and on the basis of exact computation of mass data, organizes to plan the supply of primary raw materials to the extent of two-thirds or three-fourths of all that is necessary for tens of millions of people. When these raw materials are transported to the most suitable place of production, sometimes hundreds of thousands of miles away in a systemic and organized manner, when a single center directs all the successive stages of work right up to the manufacturing of numerous varieties of finished articles. When these products are distributed according to a single plan among tens of hundreds of millions of consumers, as is the case of the distribution of oil in America and Germany by the American Standard Oil, then it becomes evident that we have socialization of production and not mere interlocking. That private economic relations and private property relations constitute a shell which is no longer, no longer suitable for its contents. A shell which must of necessity begin to decay if its destruction be postponed by artificial means. A shell which may continue in a state of decay for a fairly long period. Keeps ticking. Clock yep. keeps ticking on that period, particularly if the cure of the opportunist abscess is protracted, but which must be inevitably removed. That, uh, and it's so funny, because that absolutely describes the centralization of production to yeah. a T. It's, it, it, is, it is one company being able to dictate everything goes here to there to there to there and, and dictates exactly how your product, but planned economies are evil. Yeah. Planned economies. I mean, well, the, and, and this is what this, this book started with, right? You have an amassment of cartels. Mm -hmm. And the cartels control production from beginning to end, yep. and can even branch out into multiple industries when they when they're threatened. Uh, but also, you know, very similar things, right? Like, let's say you are the, the 
and we'll get into to, to Walton and Rodney here in the next reading, but you know, we'll talk about soap and branching out to detergent or, or other threats to your industry you can branch out into, right? Uh, so there's a lot of ways cartels can go, but they produce everything. And then those cartels are run by bank monopolies, either by primary investment, secondary investment, tertiary investment. And so essentially, you could be three times disconnected from this bank, yep. right? But you have this bank, and and to some extent, the, the the leaders of this company that's subject to this bank and their loans are controlling the entire production of industry. It's and it it's obvious, and it's not even it, they're not yeah. they don't try to hide it. It's just it's oh, no. And by controlling this, then all of a sudden, these primary end manufacturers, and more importantly, these banks. All of a sudden, care about where the raw materials are coming from, mm-hmm. and they're playing all kinds of games with how to get the raw materials, how to handle the raw materials once they're gotten, where they're cheap, where they're expensive, who gets them, in order to protect their own investment. And their biggest investment is not really making the most money. It doesn't matter if something's smarter and makes them more profit, quote unquote. They make the most profit by being the central power, by maintaining their monopoly, maintaining their power. So they run this uh, in order to maximize their profit in a way that clubs other competition to the ground. Yep. The enthusiastic admirer of German imperialism, Schultz Gabernitz, exclaims, Once the supreme management of the German banks has been entrusted to the hands of a dozen persons, their activity is even more, even today more significant for the public good than that of the majority of the ministers of the state. Slight pause. That's the Fed. That's yep. the Fed. The Federal Reserve has more control, mm-hmm. an unelected, unaccountable board of people have more control over U.S. monetary policy than any elected official that you could possibly hold accountable for anything. Yeah. It is a, it, it is, if you, if what was, you, I, I can't remember, it, it, they were very explicit about this in the 90s, was it Greenspan, was that his yes, name? Yes, Alan Greenspan. Alan Greenspan, and it was like Clinton's go-to man, yeah. and, and. He made more news than any politician. Much so. Because they can absolutely unilaterally dictate how money is how money flows mm-hmm. in and out of an economy. And now you gotta think about the US government. It's like the Fed controls the economy more than anything. Anything. And the Supreme Court is unelected and accountable life rulers and they get to determine what laws matter. Yep. And how they matter and what they mean. I mean they essentially can, you know, write laws from a decision of one thing. And the only escape from that is secondary stuff those guys don't care about. And and the president, because the president controls the army and can just, like, say, go shoot these guys and topple everything at any given moment. So you essentially have a dictator and then two unaccountable dictatory branches. And yet we're supposed to believe that we're this widespread bastion of bastion of democracy with checks and balances. And and even the president, you know, they're beholden to an enormous revolving structure. Yep. And if they buck the trend, I mean... U.S. hasn't seen a coup, but you think how easily they could. None of the presidents want to buck the trend or they feel too threatened to. Why would you? Yeah, why would you ever? Why would you do that? But, I mean, if there's a country that that could see a coup in a flash, it's the United States. Absolutely. And it's it's insane. But that's, again, a a tangible example of what he's talking about there in in the U.S. Yeah. The interlocking of bankers, ministers, magnates of industry, and bondholders is here conveniently forgotten. Again, this is kind of Lenin poking fun at... Oh, the 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 banks have more power than the ministers of state. 
the banks are ministers of state. The banks are all retired ministers of state or yeah. people that have that lobby for ministers of state. They're all the same people. It's all the same ruling class just shuffling positions on who's where at what time. Mm-hmm. Some are more formal and some are quote unquote private. And... and the Trump administration has done a very good job of showing us that none of it matters because it's all, he's, he's very blatantly just appointed all the people that ran the private industries to be the heads of state. I yeah, mean, and, just... and in spite of all that, have you noticed anything except the regular intensification of bad things that other presidents do to, like every president all these is is, wor- is the worst president ever yeah because everything that the previous president's done has gotten worse yeah and so trump is the worst president ever everything everything every president before him done is is gotten worse but other than this intensification that every president sees have you seen anything change under trump no no and yet he's worn it on his sleeve yeah. which tells you it's always been there yeah he is he is the best it is great for leftism in this country. I mean, it is, it is, it is, I don't think I would have become a leftist if Hillary had won. I think I would have still been calm and in a cupboard somewhere and just not really giving a shit. So, uh, I mean, there's that at least, at least, at least being open <laughs> about your intentions, you know, lets everyone know what's going on. It's yeah. fun. That's a positive. Let's look. You know, fuck this shit. If we conceive of the tendencies of development, which we have noted as realized to the utmost, the money capital of the nation united in the banks, the banks themselves combined into cartels, the investment capital of the nation cast in the shape of securities, then the brilliant forecast of St. Simon will be fulfilled. Again, this is Schultz Gabriel, this is not Lemon. The present anarchy of production caused by the fact that economic relations are developing without uniform regulation must make way for organization in production. But planned economies are evil. Production will no longer be shaped by isolated manufacturers, independent of each other and ignorant of man's economic needs, but by a social institution. A central body of management able to survey the large fields of social economy from a more elevated point of view will regulate it for the benefit of the whole of society but planned economies are bad, will be able to put the means of production into suitable hands, and above all, will take care that there be constant harmony between production and consumption. Institutions already exist, which have assumed as part of their task a certain organization of economic labor, the banks. The fulfillment of the forecast of St. Simon still lies in the future, but we are on the way to its fulfillment. Marxism, different from what Marx imagined, but different only in form. Oh. <laughs> oh, that feels bad. Oh, that's dirty. Oh, the oh god, the concept of guys, capitalism's the best, and it's what Marx would have wanted. It's just not the way Marx, but, but Marx didn't get it. Oh god, oh it hurts. Oh, I hurt so bad. There's never, never an end to the the mental gymnastics of opportunists and and liberals trying to get you to, to win you over. And so to end the book, the last sentence. A crushing refutation of Marx indeed. (laughs) It is a retreat from Marx's precise scientific analysis to St. Simon's guesswork. The guesswork of a genius, but guesswork all the same. And that, folks, has been imperialism. Yes. It, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a doozy. It's it's but it's it's very important work, and I hope we learned a lot, and I hope we kind of understand a little bit more, and a little bit more on how, you know, you're not going to see one obvious target sitting there, right? You no. can blow up the IMF, but Wells Fargo and J.P. Morgan Chase and and U.S. Bank and Bank of America and you know uh, that that's all that's all really the IMF. They're yeah. just 
doled out as as pseudo competitors. You know, they'll, they'll title it something to, in the same way you're gonna AOC will abolish ICE and come up with NICE, which is the the uh, a new acronym for the same fucking shit. Yeah, I same... mean, well, even when she was looking to abolish ICE, she not only was her first move in office, of course, to vote to, to fund, fund ICE, and it wasn't. And it was during the government shutdown. It wasn't to end the government shutdown it was just, or gain need... anything. It was just funding, just yes in the fund. Just and she couldn't even throw a token no when it was gonna pass anyway, and to just play up her character. She just straight voted yes and ward on her leave. Uh, but even if she got rid of ICE, she was never talking about getting rid of Customs and Border Patrol. No. What the hell is getting, getting rid of ICE if you, if you leave Customs and Border Patrol? Yeah. It's, it's, it's all window dressing. It's all, it, it, it's all nonsense. And it's all I, – I, again, this is the third, third full work we've gone through. Um, mm-hmm. I can say as, as someone that – again and again, this is the third full work of any Marxist that I've read. So, again, I'm, I am by no means an expert in this field. I am, I am just someone that's trying to learn it with everybody – with all of you here. Um, I, I feel like this one hit home in modern day more than any of the other ones. I think Capital did a great job of kind of giving an, a historical explanation for a system that I didn't fully understand. Uh, and it gave me the tools and the terms and the, and the, the way to – be able to see this system that already existed. And it gave a good history lesson. Uh, uh, State and Revolution gives a good theoretical roadmap to what revolutions can look like and a theoretical construct for why we do need the state and all of that. And that's good, but it's all still theory. I mean, again, it was obviously enacted in in the Russian Revolution, but it's not exactly something that's happening right now, uh, especially not necessarily in, in the place we live. This work is a 100% applicable to every single thing you see in your day-to-day life living in the belly of the beast. Mm-hmm. This help this this helps you see why these are interlocked and why these are are intertwined and why the things that you hear and sound weird are what they are and 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 how the things that rule your life on a day-to-day basis are actually not just random causes by the invisible hand of the free market. They are absolutely directed in a very particular way against you. And for very particular reasons. And that's, I, 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 I think this book made me madder than any other book. <laughs> I can definitely say, I can definitely say, I, I think this made me angrier than anything else because it's kind of a, a fuck, how the hell was I this blind to what was going on kind of a thing. But, um, but yeah, that was, that was imperialism. Um, now that yeah. being said, we're not a hundred percent done with imperialism because, no. and I'm gonna let I'm gonna let David give the roadmap to what the the next episode after this is going to be. But uh, the great thing about Marxism is that Marxists learn from each other and build on each other. And there was a uh, a very interesting uh, Marx uh, uh, interaction on Twitter that pointed out a, a great addendum to this that I think we're gonna yeah. Uh, Dan, I, I I believe it's pronounced Boucher. Um, I, so it would be uh, Dan Boucher at uh, D-A-N-B-O-U-C-H-E-R um, kind of was over there pointing out that a good, quick, under uh, underlying uh, part of a book that he was reading by Walter Rodney called How Europe Underve- Underdeveloped Africa. Um, as always, any work we, we cite, we certainly recommend people read yes. on their own and read yes. as much as they can. And Walter Rodney is, is definitely a good source. Um, and this is not a book I'm – I've fully read, but uh, he pointed out a, a subchapter uh, about Unilever that gives a good, good, uh, basically an example of what Lenin is talking about here. And so we will be having an episode where we kind of do, uh, we considered doing it as a mini madness, but it's a little long for that. 
Uh, but we'll probably do an episode where we just focus yeah. on that, kind of like what we did with the Gotha program. Very much. And I think it's, yeah, I, I think we debated the Mini Madness, just reading it for certain short, short works that are self-contained. I think mm-hmm. that's useful. Um, but this, I think there's so much of it. One, because it's a sm- much smaller part of a much larger book, I think it kind of would do it disservice. And two, it is such a good example of taking the taking the theoretical underpinning. We we read these people because they're right. We don't read them because they're they're you know demagogues or icons or anything like that. We read them because they're right, and and all of the the theoretical underpinning and 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 research that Lenin did pointing to imperialism. Seventy years later, I think this book was written in seventy two. Walter Rodney does a great job of taking that same style and pointing to a great concrete example that's a little more probably accessible to us in our day-to-day lives than talking about U.S. Steel or, or uh, you know, standard AIGA, or... standard oil. It's going to bring it into a company that still absolutely exists and is much more prominent in your day-to-day life than you'd probably expect. So yeah. that is going to be our next episode. Yeah, and the only reason we preface that, because obviously we would normally just preface that within that episode, uh, is to let you know that uh, we're not quite done with with imperialism, high stage of capitalism. So this isn't our last episode on it because we're reading that. But we have read all of imperialists, the high stage of capitalism. So uh, other than our own uh, idea of something supplementary, because uh, someone brought it up in social media, not to us, just in general, but they're they're someone we follow. Um, we'll be getting that. But otherwise, we we have completed the book, and we, we have. Thank you for we, uh, joining us. You get your us completion with, as medal. Usual. You can. We, your yeah. completion medal is in the mail. Your loot box is is gonna land right in front of you there. So so, um, so just just to give you the road map again again next week coming out and again that should be if i've done my math correctly looking at a calendar's cool for people this the so the wall uh this episode you should be hearing if if the world hasn't imploded on july 17th um our episode on uh on walter rodney and and his his little ditty on imperialism will come out on july 24th and then July 31st uh, is is tentatively circled in God willing pen because we've been going back and forth and I think we finally <laughs> nailed down this date hard and fast. Um, our next work, we have been obviously talking that uh, our next full book is going to be uh, Fanon's Wretched of the Earth. Um, and we are uh, extremely uh, excited mm-hmm. slash terrified to get started on that one. And again, if anyone is listening and really has a good grounding in Pan-Africanism and wants to come on and help out, please, God, we're willing. We're here. Please just reach yeah. out. We're, we're, yeah, we'll get you in. We're not, we're not going to make you race to get in here before we had Walter Rodney because it's only one segment. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But, but, uh, but, but if yeah. you get those Fanon, that'd be great. But uh, in the meantime, then we're going to spend the next uh, – this is being recorded uh, June 30th, so I, I have a month to uh, to do every bit of reading I can possibly do on Fanon mm-hmm. to make sure we do him justice. Mm-hmm. But we're going to take a slight dip uh, and do a work uh, – do, do something I've been really excited about, which is to get into a a little bit of Mao, um, and uh, the best way we found to get into a little bit of Mao is we're going to do on practice, mm-hmm. um, and we're going to do it with some friends, uh, some comrades. So on on tentatively tentatively scheduled on July thirty first, our episode will be uh, will be joined by uh, Brett from Rev Left Radio and Red Menace, and Allison from Red Menace, and just generally great work uh, <laughs> Marxist publications mm-hmm. uh, and and we're gonna do some on practice we're gonna do some Mao and we're gonna kind of talk about you know what they're how they organize and and how we can bring that together and and synthesize these two these two shows as best we can so that is our exciting little roadmap that will get us to the the beginning of August and then August will be re- uh, get ready for some some fun fun wretched of the earth time which I have a feeling I'm gonna be very uncomfortable and, and out of my element so welcome to that <laughs> in the meantime. Bye. Bye.